Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Mark, thank you so much for being with us today. I played Eric Clapton as part of my intro because that's how I, I feel, is that if I could change the world, and all I can do is one episode at a time, but if doing one episode at a time can change the world for somebody, give them light, give them strength, give them hope to speak up, to lend our voices to their voice, to give them what they need to speak up, 
out of their circumstances, whatever it is, whatever difficulties you're facing, whatever it is that you're going through that you think it has no end, everything has an expiration date. And because of that, Patricia Adams Live and my special guests that come on this show, we come to you to bring you a different aspect, a different viewpoint on how to overcome those difficulties in life. And Mark has given us the opportunity to speak with him because, as you can read in the show bio, but I'm going to tell you this, is that Mark is a ghostwriter in addition to many things. And he has basically come up with his take on what it means to capture an audience. You have eight seconds, eight seconds to capture the audience's attention. And he says that's how long a bull rider needs to stay atop that bucking animal to soar. Eight seconds is how long you have until a visitor decides your content is boring and clicks the next link. Eight seconds is all you've got to sell yourself. And every year that time shrinks. When it comes to crafting your content, you need a bull rider, someone who steps into the ring every time with the grit and determination to keep that reader's attention, whether it's a single blog post or a full-length book, eight seconds to put points on that scoreboard just to get in the game. Will your content pass the eight-second test? Mark says he is that bull rider. He asks that if you have any questions or concerns that you reach out to him, he can help you get on the scoreboard. His services are helping you with ghostwriting for your book, for your blog, for your article, for your website. He's a copywriter, and he's also a LinkedIn ghostwriter. Now, Mark, you and I have been connected on LinkedIn for more than eight seconds. And I have watched you on LinkedIn join in conversations, and sometimes you bring challenge to the conversation. Sometimes you bring agreement to the conversation. Sometimes, you know, maybe you're a little bit of taking the, the opposite of the conversation just to pull the conversation in and to get the person to respond who posted the original content or give feedback to other people who are replying to the content. But the biggest thing of it is is that your process of coming into being a ghostwriter and how you came into realizing that you have eight seconds. And I know some people say you have 20 seconds, but the attention span is decreasing because of the amount of electronics and things that are drawing our attention. We're in the age of the Internet of Things, so we have devices everywhere. And it's impossible sometimes to get your word out, to get get the attention of the audience. I have not basically seen anything that you've posted on LinkedIn where someone does not respond to you in some way, some shape, form, or fashion. And I'm not asking you to give a magic potion or a magic formula or anything to the audience. But somewhere before you became a ghostwriter, you had another life. So if you want to share some of your backstory that led you into ghostwriting, we would welcome that. If you want to get into ghostwriting or you want to simply talk about LinkedIn, we can do that as well. So I will let you take over from here. And if there are any questions that come up during your conversation, I will ask you those questions, okay? And if we have anyone who calls in who wants to ask questions, but we are on live. We are internationally. 
being listened to globally. We're in some far outreaches. I saw someplace where we're in the Congo. And I was like, how fascinating that was. So we're all over right now, and we're expanding our reach, and we're hoping to help people overcome life's difficult topics. So today we are talking about writing and how to get the audience's attention, but Mark didn't come out of the womb knowing that it took eight seconds to get someone's attention. Mark has spent time to craft and hone his talent. So Mark R. Morris, our special guest, will be talking to you now. Thanks, Patricia. I really appreciate you having me on today. And if you are looking for me online, search Mark R. Morris Jr. And anything you find that follows that is me, good or bad, that's me. <laughs> that's my brand. Um, that's what I've been putting out there for the past, oh, gosh, since I started my first blog in, like, 1997. Uh, so it's been a process of just kind of learning how to connect with audiences. And I spent uh, the first... 25 years of my uh, adolescence slash young adult life as an actor and a director in live theater. So that's where I learned um, about connecting to audiences, and it's also where I shaped my writing talent to a huge extent. Uh, the eight seconds comes from just uh, <clears throat> research. Uh, it's something that actually has been shown online that the average website click uh, once somebody comes onto your site is about eight seconds. I think it's come down since I wrote that, but the time to stay on a bull has not changed. So I haven't changed my, uh, my pitch because it, it kind of fits my analogy. So that's where that came from. Um, in answer to your first question, Patricia, I think that the key to getting an audience's attention and having them respond to your content um, is say something. And when I mean, what I mean when I say that is don't, just parrot what everyone else is saying, but bring something out. Say something that's worth responding to. Um, I see a lot of people who get on LinkedIn and other platforms uh, that spend a lot of their time trying to sell what they do. And we all know how that works. No one wants to hear it. Uh, you know, we thought there for a little bit in the internet age that we were going to get away from commercials. Turns out we have more of them now than we ever did before. But for the most part, we try to avoid them. We use, uh, you know, media on demand services and we'll even pay for the premium version to avoid having to sit through someone's advertising message. So if you think you can get on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Pinterest or anywhere else and just start pitching your stuff um, and hope to have much response, you're going to have a tough time of it. Um, what I've found is that if you start conversations, people will come to you. And generally, um, it's been an interesting go of it. So tell me, Patricia, a little bit more about your audience, though, and what who who you've had responding to you here. How have you managed to get your response? Honestly, for me, I am more organic. So my my thought process is about what's on my mind, what it is that mm -hmm. I'm trying to convey. And I'm finding that people who respond to me are people who know someone who's going through something that I posted, they have experienced it themselves, or they're basically lending their voice and their support to what it is that I've posted and what it is that I'm discussing. 
And that's pretty much how it is. It's just been organic for me. I don't follow a particular methodology or anything. It is simply what it is that I'm trying to address, what it is that I'm trying to speak to, what it is that I'm trying to bring attention to. And that's, that's pretty much how I follow. So I guess it's, for me, it's my heart, it's my passion. And mm-hmm. if someone relates to that, then they connect with me or they comment on that or they follow. But for the most part, I am not intentionally following a particular formula or anything to try to get that. It's just me being me. That's awesome. And I think that's really a key because when people see a real person behind a message, that's when they start to engage. As people connect with me, they find out that things that I say, I truly will back them up. And we we had a little brief conversation before the show about that very thing. And I think that a big part of it is that too many people who are online, they're making a lot of noise, but they don't have anything to say. Um, So the reason they're not getting the response that someone like myself might get, and I am far from any of the biggest you know, voices on LinkedIn. Um, It's just that I bring this stuff up because I see it. And uh, a lot of what I talk about on LinkedIn has to do with marketing and writing and content production, because that's why I'm there. That's the primary reason that I went back onto LinkedIn at the beginning of the summer after having a huge platform there back in 2011, 2012. Um, I came back there to work on finding more book writing clients because I found that in the last five years, that's what I've been doing the most of, and I really love doing it. The reason is the same reason that you're doing this show is to give other people a voice Uh, because for 25 years, you know, I stood in front of audiences and I got to tell the stories I wanted to tell. And having run my own production company, you know, I chose everything about it. I had a chance to frame that and put it in front of an audience. I even wrote some of my own stuff and put it on stage. So I've had that opportunity to do that over and over again in my life, and I know that a lot of people who have different perspectives from me don't ever seem like they get that chance. So being able to be a ghostwriter, the cool thing is, um, like I know that one of your messages that you work on here is uh, survivors and things like that of uh, either domestic abuse or just struggles in life, and I've had an opportunity to actually sit with people and go through their life stories Um, one uh, lady in particular this last year who is an executive with a direct marketing firm, uh, she's a boxer, she's tough, she's gritty, she's a fun lady, but if you sit down and you listen to her story, you understand that what she overcame is what made her what she is because just time after time after time after time, people took advantage of her as a child and as a young lady uh, in all kinds of ways, physically, intimately, business-wise, just over and over and over again. And the more that you hear it, the more you think, oh, my gosh, how did you survive this? And, you know, I think she didn't even realize, um, and I'm going to use a term here, I apologize if this offends anyone, how much of a badass she was until he had actually gone back to the beginning and pulled all of her story out so that she could actually remember it and put it in order. And I think that happens to us sometimes. We don't recognize the value of our own story. We don't see the gold in our struggle because to us, it's just life. It's just getting up every day, and it just sucks, and it's hard. We don't see what we've overcome or what we've learned or what we've achieved as being a big deal. But when we talk to people who are back where we started or maybe started even you know, further back than we did because let's face it, I'm a white male in America, so I, I don't have some of the struggles that other people have. But 
when I'm able to share the things that I have been through, you know, then it, then it really does actually help other people to see that they can achieve things. And that's what I think is so cool about being a ghostwriter is I get that opportunity to sit down with business people or public speakers or um, uh, in one case it was helping start a grassroots political organization and really listen to the passion of these people and see what it is. Like you said, they want to change the world. Well, that happens one heart and one mind at a time. And the best way to do that, Patricia, is through story. So I, that's what I really love about doing the ghostwriting thing. Um, it uh, kind of progressed out of, like I said, my theater days. Uh, in about 2009, I closed my theater down. The housing market bubble crash kind of sent us into a tailspin, and we didn't know what we were going to do. And so I ended up starting into freelance writing because my family needed to eat. Um, and I have a large family. I have eight children. Uh, the youngest is 10. So um, we were in this position where we really just did not know you know, what was going to be the next step. And I took a look and I said, okay, well, I know that I'm a pretty good writer. I have this degree in creative writing I've never used. So let me step out here and see what I can do with this. And the first place I started um, actually was just writing tutorials for a site that was uh, mostly about home improvement because I had done a lot of carpentry work through the years. And that was something simple for me. And then over time, I began to work into writing company blogs. And then the first client asked me to write a book, which was actually about contracting. Uh, it was his story about how he became a, uh, a storm uh, renovation specialist. Uh, so he goes in and he helps people um, to navigate like their insurance stuff. Uh, he's also a forensic roofer. So he helps to make sure the insurance companies give people what they deserve whenever their house is damaged things of that nature. And that's where it started. And it just kind of branched out from there. And the first time that I sat down to write a book, because I know this is something that's really intimidating to a lot of people. I had already been, you know, writing full time for about five years. I think I had written one short novel, uh, but that kind of came out of, you know, my storytelling in theater because I'd already written several plays and musicals. Um, but I started with very short form stuff. Literally, the first thing that I can remember writing was in the third grade. Uh, my teacher assigned us to write a Halloween story, and it was supposed to be about a haunted house. And we were assigned to take one of those big chief tablet pages, you know, with the three lines in it when your writing was about two inches tall, <laughs> and fill that up. And I ended up doing, I think, six pages with illustrations. And when they put it up uh, at uh, parent-teacher night, some of the other kids were upset because mine was taking up so much wall space. But so I've been a storyteller from, from a very young age. And I think that came from listening to my dad, who was a preacher when I was young and his storytelling. So I understood the, the power of story from a very young age. And when you can engage what has organically happened in your life, that is your message. You own that. That is yours. And no one can question that. And sometimes we get hung up on the idea that our credentials all need to be, you know, uh, outside of ourselves. They need to be a degree. They need to be a certification. They need to be an affirmation from some uh, well-to-do person in a certain field or whatever. But what I find is that when you stick to the things that you know, and you know because you lived them, that people are drawn to that. Not only are they drawn to that, but they don't have the ability to question it. 
they see your experience and they know that it's legitimate because you walked through that fire. You say it's possible, and I know it's possible because I, I did survive X, Y, Z, and here I am standing on the other side of it and helping other people get through it. So I think that that's the power of the personal story is that we own that. Um, what, what would you say is the most powerful story that you've told in your life, Patricia? Someone else's story. Someone else's story. Okay. Um, I have not really ventured into my story. And the reason okay. I haven't done that is because my story is so out there. It, it hits so many different areas and so many things that for one human being to have had happened to them that I went in search of people who had gone through what I had gone through to basically say, okay, I know I'm not the only one. Uh, maybe this is unique to me, but I know I'm not the only one. And what really pushed me even further was the fact that one of the people who victimized me said to me, you're not unique. And I looked at them and I thought, I'm not unique. Okay, why is this happening to me? And then it made me realize that what they were basically saying to me is that there are others that I'm victimizing. You're not the only one. But at that particular time, I didn't get that. So I've been in search of those people. Not necessarily that that person victimized, but people that have been victimized to give mm -hmm. them my voice. Because there have been times when people have passed me their story to my hand, you know, in a setting, like in, in just a group setting. And they wrote down what they were feeling, but they didn't have the courage to say it. And I would mm -hmm. ask, ask them for permission, can I stand up and, and, and speak for you? So for me right now, I've just been speaking other people's stories, telling other people's stories until I could get the attention of the listener, get the attention of the people who are telling their stories so that they can realize that they are not alone, that I, the reason why I can identify with them is because I have gone through that. And to let them know you're not crazy. This did happen to you. You are experiencing this, and I can speak into it in a way that even they didn't see it. I recently interviewed Linda Day on the show, and she was molested by her mother sexually, and nobody believed her. Mm -hmm. But I believed her because I've experienced that as a child, you know, of having a female. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like giving other people a voice to lend credibility to their story is my 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 ultimate goal, but at the same time saying, look, before I tell you my story, I want you to hear what's happened to other people around me. So I'm I'm mm -hmm. planning on telling my story. I'm still working towards sharing other people's stories, but right now I've just been putting myself on the back burner. Sure. And I think that's because you recognize the power of your story. But there's there's a double edged sword here in telling our own stories too. Because the girl that I mentioned, you know, she's this boxer. She's got a million-dollar business. She's, you know, um, if you saw her and you met her, you'd think, oh, she's all put together. When she finished this and we had it all written out and I finished her manuscript for her and sent it to her to get edited, I talked with her about a month later. I said, how is the editing process going? Because she had wanted to go through and she was going to change some names and she wanted to, you know, 
make some personal decisions about which incidents to leave in and which to leave out. Because what we did was we went through and we wrote the whole thing because I was like, you need this as a personal history. All of this does not belong in your book, but you need this as a personal history. So we're going to write this this way. And then we will come back and we will fill in, um, you know, the places where we need to take things out. We will find ways to bridge that. But what she found out was that there was so much of that that she had either forgotten or lived past that she brought that back up and it did two things. Number one, it just, it floored her with just the sheer immensity of all the things that she'd been through. Um, she said, no one goes through this. And I said, you're right. I've never heard anybody tell me a story like this before. This is amazing. Um, you know, I mean, it, it literally, it's not just sexual abuse, but international kidnapping. Um, just crazy, crazy stuff that happened to her. And so as she was going through that, it cut back and she had to go in and do some more work on herself because she recognized that some of that, that she had just blown past, she hadn't really dealt with. She hadn't really found a way to give up hope for a better past in that area of her life. And she was still reliving it to a certain extent, even though she didn't realize it. It was coming up in other ways. And so when we do this, we have to be careful because the power of a story is it can heal, but it can also tear things down. And some things need to be torn down in life. I know you agree with me on that. There are walls and barriers that we have in our own lives, but if we examine our stories carefully, we can go back and we can say, yeah, I don't really need this belief. It's not serving me well. It's keeping me from reaching the people that I've been put here to reach. It's keeping me from telling the stories that I've been put here to tell. And so we have to tear those things out, but it takes time. And a story told correctly is a beautiful thing, but I'll give you an example of when a story once got me into a lot of trouble. When I was seven years old, I lived in Beatrice, Nebraska. My dad was preaching there, and I was in the first grade. And my friend Craig, I remember this blonde, toe-headed boy uh, wearing a jersey that was from the Los Angeles Rams. This would have been 1978. I'm telling you how old I am now. <laughs> and we were standing in the line for the school bus stop to go home. And he says to me, Mark, why don't we walk home today? And I thought, well, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And I said, I don't think we can do that, Craig. I don't, I don't know if we can do that. I don't know if we can find our way. He said, we just go down straight down this street, and then we turn left, and then that's it. And I thought about the route, and I realized he was right. I hadn't lived there my whole life like he had. And so we decided that we were going to walk home. And he said, but we need to hurry because we need to get to the corner where that bus is going to go to your stop, and we need to be there when the bus comes up so that you can go home at the right time and we don't end up in trouble. So we took off walking at about halfway there. I remember his mother, uh, a blonde lady, Farrah Fawcett hair, in this, uh, this Bronco, this Ford Bronco. She pulls over on the side of the road and she says, Craig, get your blankety blank in this car. I've never heard anybody talk to a child like that before because I grew up in a house where he said, but you get your mouth washed out with soap. So I was terrified at this point, and she said, you need to get home, Mark, and I was only about two blocks from home, so I took off running, and as I was coming up to the corner to turn to the bus stop, the bus passed me, and I thought, oh, no, I have – my mom is going to find out about this. This is going to be a problem. So 
on my way home, I'm thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? And I walk in the house, and unbeknownst to me, my mother didn't know that anything was wrong at all. I could have walked in, eaten my little snack, watched my Mickey Mouse Club with my younger brother, gone on about my life, and never had a problem. But instead, I said, Mom, I had to walk home from school today. And it never occurred to me you know, that she was going to have questions about this. So she said, well, why did you walk home? And I said, well, I had to stay after. And she said, no, you didn't. The bus was just here. And I should have just dropped this at the moment and been like, oh, I'm kidding. But no, I didn't understand that principle, so I kept going. I said, well, uh, it was Craig and I. And she said, Craig and you? And, she, and I said, yes. And she said, well, why were you stuck after school? Well, we got into a fight. I have no idea why I said this to my mother because I knew that if I fought at school, I'd be in trouble when I got home. And so, of course, I was. And she punished me for that, and she never knew until 20 years later that I had been lying about the fight and that we had just decided to walk home. So you have to know that your story, when told, it, it can do more than one thing. Sometimes people put a story out into the world hoping it will do one thing, and it does something else. Now, that, that could be good. That could be bad, and it's partly dependent on the audience. So we have to remember that as we're working uh, you know, on things like books, we have to think about who we're writing this to. And you're very wise to hold on to your story until you're ready to tell it. There's no reason to put it out into the world if you're not prepared to stand behind it and kind of represent it. And so it takes time for you to, to figure that out and know what it means for you. And I totally get that, and I appreciate it completely. So when I'm working with people on a book, Generally, what I like to do is just have them tell me their whole story. Uh, unless they have a specific idea. Now, I do work with one young uh, public speaker, and he generally he comes to me with a complete plan of what it is he wants to write, but he doesn't feel like he's a very gifted writer. So we sit down and we craft that together. But a lot of times, people don't even know what it is they want to say. They may have a certain topic that they want to address. They may just feel like there's some power in their life story. And when you sit down with them and you actually get the chance to unwrap it all, people don't even realize who they are. It's funny because as you look at things and they feel so broken and beaten down by their own experience that they fail to see the resiliency and the strength of character that was built into them as they were going through those things. So I would encourage your audience to, if you can't find someone like me or if you just can't afford someone like me, Find someone or record your story and listen back to it. Sometimes that gives you enough distance to know what it is that you are actually listening to because those events, they, they happen to us, and our viewpoint is so one-sided and it's so narrow that a lot of times we don't think back. Like, for instance, now that I'm a parent and I think back on that incident with my mother, well, most of the time when my kids walk in the door, if they're telling me something and it's not quite true, I may not have any clue what the actual truth is, but I can smell a lie when I hear it. And so as I'm watching that child and their body language and the way they're approaching me, and I know they want me to believe what it is they're saying, but something doesn't ring true about it. So my mom was in that same position, and I know how she felt now. And I begin to understand that story better as I've got some distance from it. So sometimes having someone else to help us with that is a great way for us to actually pick out the pieces and see how they go together. Does that make sense? 
It does. It does. And that ties into still going back to the conversation. And in the interview that I had with Linda Day, she mentioned something in her story. And, you know, I just was listening and going along and I said something to her that basically she was like, oh, wait a minute. I hadn't even thought about it. I, that never occurred to me. She says, oh, now I see it was like, even though she's written her story, the fact that I was sitting on the outside listening to her story and sharing with her what I was seeing, what I was hearing, she was able to take that. And she's like, wow, you know, I had not seen it that way, she says, but that's exactly what happened. So, yeah, I, I have written my story and I have published it. I just haven't been promoting it and haven't been talking about it. So I, you know, don't have a problem telling my story. It's just that sure. the platform that I'm lending to right now on Patricia Adams Live is to make the world aware that this is real, this is true, this is happening, this has happened, this will continue to happen until we do something about it. And collectively, we can do something about it. Individually, we can do something about it. And we can change the way this is happening, the way this is working, because the collateral damage is too great. And so Mm -hmm. overall, you know, for me to come and tell my story and to promote my story and to promote my book, I feel that I needed to take a back seat and open up the platform to people who haven't really pushed their story out. A lot of them have written their books, and because mm-hmm. when they, specifically Linda Day, she wrote her book back about the same time that you were talking about when you were in kindergarten, and mm-hmm. people didn't believe her. Nobody wanted to publish her, so she self-published. That took a lot of courage to do that in that atmosphere, mm-hmm. that time period, when you know women, she says, are like baseball and apple pie when it comes down to thinking of women yep. as mothers. So her telling her story in that climate was very difficult. And still having her on the show, I invited her to come back. Let's continue to talk about it because it's real. It's absolutely real and it's right. happening. And I, I think that the ideology and the, the rose-colored glasses that we have in life where we think, you know, this is how things are supposed to go. So they're not happening outside of this. It's like anything outside of the way it's supposed to go, it's not true. But the thing about that supposed to go is that this is a collection of all of our highlight reels. Okay, so that idea of how life is supposed to be is a myth. And it's built up of all these fragments, all of these happy days, all of these good times, all of these successes that we all have. And what we do when we, you know, you, you've heard the, the terminology, the cutting room floor. You know, that's where the scenes end up. Not anymore because we don't actually cut film the way that they used to edit. But we leave it on the cutting room floor. We leave all the junk. We leave all the stuff that we don't want anybody to see, the things we're not proud of. And so what we end up doing is we build this idea that there is an ideal life out there, and it just simply doesn't exist. In fact, the idea right now in America that we can, quote, unquote, make America great again is based around, you know, a few people experienced this 
particular way of life for a very brief period of time. And then we want to build this mythology that this is the way it always was and that the majority of us had it like that. And that was never true. So I think that it's, it's very valuable for us to all put our, you know, our quilt, our patchwork, our, um, I, I kind of use the analogy, if you've ever seen a large scale mosaic, you know, it's made up of broken tile and broken glass and all of these things. And if you stand too close, all you see is shards. All you see is broken pieces. But when you back up and you get the picture, you know, there's this, this image that's made, whether that's, you know, a landscape or whether it's a, a picture of a person or a, a knight fighting a dragon or whatever it is, the further back we get, the more detail starts to come in and we can actually see what the artist intended. And I think life is like that too. So we have all of these broken pieces and that's each of us. And it makes this beautiful mosaic if we let it, because there's so many good things that happen in the world that we tend to gloss over. But we have this idea somehow that we're supposed to be ashamed of the broken parts and the things that have hurt us, even though nine times out of 10, they either were entirely someone else's fault or, you know, we were not the only ones to blame or because of our brokenness, we did this other thing, such as alcoholism or drug abuse. Um, and so we end up in this pattern where we, we are not proud of our whole story, you know? We're only proud of those pieces that fit into that collection of what the ideal life is supposed to be like. And if we don't have enough slides to contribute to that show, then that's how we sometimes base our self-worth. And so I think that as people learn to tell their whole story and really um, to relish in the idea that they're a survivor, because in some circumstances, you know, there are there are ways of life that we do see surviving as brave. We do see surviving as courageous. We do see surviving as a good thing. Um, you know, if someone, for instance, uh, you know, was there on 9-11 and they survived, you know, the, the airplanes attacking the Twin Towers. Or like here, I live in Oklahoma City, people who survived the Murrah federal bombing. Uh, you know, are seen as heroes. They're seen as someone who has this amazing survivor story. But then sometimes the smaller things in life, or they seem smaller, they're really not. Because like you said, you start to piece together how many people have experienced a thing, and you suddenly realize this is a crisis. This is an epidemic that we're experiencing. Um, for instance, the Me Too movement, you know, that's come uh, recently. And, and we've known that this is true because we've heard these stories about the rooms full of rape kits that never get processed. We've heard these stories, but we don't really think about it in connection. We think, oh, well, my incident wasn't really like that. Oh, well, my pain doesn't fit in that box, you know. And because of that, we have this tendency to always want to focus on what we perceive to be positive or happy or sunny or beautiful and so we miss out on this rich experience of all of these people around us. And if we knew how many people have survived similar circumstances to what we are currently going through or what we just went through or what we feel like is coming, then I think that the tension could, could go down a little bit in life. And we could start to feel like we are more connected. And maybe we could find those other points of connection because what we want to connect on is we want to connect on things like 
What's your favorite football team? What kind of movies do you like? What type of fashion do you wear? What neighborhood do you live in? What school did you go to? What church do you attend? Uh, you know, which concert were you at? We want to connect on all of these kind of fun things like our favorite food. And, but there's all of these other things that connect us too. And if we could learn to recognize that, I think that what we would find is that support groups would stop being these isolated little shameful things that you go to to be anonymous, and that would become more of our social structure because every single one of us is broken. There's not a single person that you meet, no matter how successful and happy they seem, that doesn't have broken edges somewhere in their life. And even if it's something that doesn't occur to you as being broken, it felt the same to them as the trauma that you went through. And so as I get to help people tell their stories, that's what I find, is that there's so much richness and so much detail that we gloss over and so many cool things that happen, you know, when the universe supplies us with things we need or protects us from something or delivers us out of a tough situation, and we don't tell those stories. We're silent because we're ashamed of what came before that. And in order to tell that story, we have to tell that part too. And somehow, like you said, we're afraid of, well, why did this happen to me? You know, why did my business fail? Um, you know, if we want to take it out of some of the intensely personal things, why did my business fail? Why did my marriage fail? Why did I get this disease versus this other person? Why was I in that accident? Why was I at that place in time? And we feel like it's all related to us, and we miss the fact that, well, okay, sure, that happened to you. It also happened to 20,000 other people just in your nation this year. And when we can start to see that, because people will tell those stories, I think that we can make something really cool um, out of our society that it becomes richer and stronger and more nuanced, and we don't have to keep watching the same highlight reels over and over and over again. Because if you notice, we have to keep picking new heroes because eventually those heroes either get old and retire or they fall. You know, if you watch someone long enough, you'll figure out where, you know, their, their secrets are because they come out. They eventually do with all of us. And so I think that that's the power of a good story is that you get the chance to tell it yourself. You get the chance to to frame that narrative the way that you want to do it. And that's what I love about working with people when I ghostwrite. So do you have any questions for me about the process or about how it works or anything like that? I think overall, when a client comes to someone to help them write their story, just how you said that it's, it's organic. It's organic. And for me, I think, rather than tell someone that you follow A, B, C, D, say you've got nine steps in your process, just hypothetically you have nine steps in your process. Maybe step nine with that particular client has to become step one. Mm -hmm. And for me to say to anybody is that, you know, you have to do it this way. You have to say it this way. You have to follow these nine steps or these 10 or 15 steps if someone wanted to reach out to Mark R. Morris Jr. and Mark had a conversation with that client and the client says, okay, you know, I've got this story that I want to tell, and then you tell them, okay, this is how we need to proceed. 
if that client mm-hmm. says, you know, Mark, I haven't been able to get past step one. I, I'm, sure. I'm stuck because that happens. That, that absolutely happens. And absolutely. the storytelling process of anything that sometimes you have to switch it up, sometimes you have to change it around. So for me, mm-hmm. I don't have the question as such. But I would say to anyone who is looking for somebody to ghost write for them their story, you owe it to yourself to reach out to them. And overall, I think that if you can just start to tell your story, that's that's the first step. That's the first step yep. is that you do have a story to tell. Don't discredit yourself. Don't discount yourself. Well, I can't really tell Absolutely. the story because this was really my fault. And I'm not talking about the Me Too movement in the sense of I'm a Me Too advocate. I am not a part of that, and I'm a part of the human too. Right. Yeah, I just use the terminology. No, 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 no. Sometimes it's helpful to use the terminology that's being currently used because that way people can associate what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. It's a very basic but for, surface level yeah, no, movement. And, I agree. and I agree with your, you know, uh, analogy on that. But for me, I wanted to simply say is that man's inhumanity to man is what bothers me. You know, we, I agree. You, you can't do some of the things that you do to animals that you can do to human beings and get away with. I agree. And I agree. that's something and, that disturbs me. So overall is that I don't have the question to ask, but I would tell anybody who's looking for someone to help them tell their story in paperback, in whatever, in digital format, and you want to acquire the services of Mark R. Morris Jr., is that let him lead you on this journey. Let him give you his voice to help you vocalize what it is and verbalize and articulate what it is that you want to say. The only question to me, that I have to the audience is that sure. it's up to you to tell your story, not somebody else. That's right. That's absolutely right. And that's that's the thing that people miss about ghostwriters. Um, because I spent 25 years as an actor, one of my specialties and one of the things that my clients say to me is, you captured my voice. This sounds like I wrote it. I don't try to reshape the way that you think or the way that you tell your story. Now, I will say this, Patricia, there's there is something that is beneficial to deciding why you're telling your story. Okay. For example, if you are looking to write a business inspirational book, you will want to select different parts of your story and tell them in a different way than if you are trying to write a book about mental health or family relationships or whatever that might be. Okay. Um Also, sometimes when we're writing uh, these types of books, our story is only one element of the narrative thread. So we are using our story to illustrate principles, say, about success in business or about surviving a certain thing or about achieving success in some specific area in life. And so we have to be thinking constantly in those cases of who is our audience, what are we trying to say to them, and when they finish reading this book, what response do we want them to have to us? So in the case of what, you know, your survivor story, this is probably strictly a memoir, and you want to share what you went through. And I don't know what else you included in there. Sometimes there will be information, for example, 
about mental health, about services that are available, resources that people can access and things like that. You may offer some of that advice along the way, but your story is going to be front and center. Sometimes those stories can be used in partnership with other ideas. For example, the woman, the boxer that I spoke about, uh, the writing title, uh, the, the working title for her book is Taking a Punch because it's about getting knocked down and getting back up. And it's about doing that in business. And then we used her life leading up to you know, what she was able to achieve to begin one by one taking away the excuses of the reader. And we, we paralleled that because she is a huge Tyler Perry fan with some of his quotes and ideas about where he came from and how he managed to achieve what he's achieved you know, without all of the major resources that a lot of other people have that still can't get where he is. And so it's about taking away their excuses. It's about showing that someone could start out way behind you and still achieve these things. And it's up to you where you want to be on the scale. And you may be happy where you're at. If you are, don't let anyone convince you to change. That's so important because this is your life, and you only get to live it once, and you need to live it on your own terms as much as you are able to. So I would just say that the only thing I would add to what you said was if you're telling the story, you need to decide why. You need to decide who you're telling it to, and you need to decide what you want them to do with it once it's out there. Does that make sense? Yes, exactly, exactly. And that could take on many different formats, um, especially if, I don't know, I guess in my case, I'll just say this, is that when I started writing my story and when I finished, it wasn't, even though I would have liked to have received justice, you know, legal Mm -hmm. justice, I didn't get that because, by the time I was ready to talk about my whole story, the statute of limitation had ran out. Right. And But in the process of that, I thought, okay, maybe for someone else that this person or persons have done things to, maybe the statute of limitation hasn't ran out on them. Mind you, I didn't call any names. I didn't, you know, name names. And I only did that because I didn't want to create collateral damage, not because I was afraid to because I didn't want to create collateral damage. But at the same time, it was like after I finished the book, I I started writing the book with the understanding of what I had gone through and in the Mm -hmm. context of what I knew about what other people around me had gone through at the hands of certain people who had done Mm -hmm. things to me, right? So I I was not just speaking for myself. I was speaking hopefully in a way that if one of them should pick this book up, they'll say, you know, I have time to speak up or I should speak up or um, this gives me hope. This gives me hope. And at the end of the day, I had an invitation to speak to someone on their show and we were, it was a finance show. And my Mm -hmm. take and during that interview is that some of the financial decisions that we make in life are based on what's in our roots, the things that we've gone through. Mm -hmm. So, to me, Absolutely. that like being the going to the doctor and saying, Doc, this is what's wrong with me. This is what I'm mm-hmm. feeling. The doctor writes you a prescription and it treats your symptoms, but it really doesn't get down to the root cause. So for me, That's right. writing my story was getting down to the root cause of my life, getting down to the root cause of 
the way that it took me in my life, how it affected me, how it impacted me, and choices and decisions that I made in my life because of the roots that was in my life. And given that you said that your father was a pastor, you probably will understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying on this is that a, a root of bitterness can cause you mm-hmm. a lot of trouble in a lot of ways and a lot of areas in your life. And when you think that think you you're have living be... your best life, Absolutely. When, when you're thinking, I don't think you know, you're living your best life. Yeah. I, okay. But it, when you think you're living yeah. your best life, it's really that you're treating your symptoms. You know, you really aren't living your best life. You're just catering to the symptoms that are going on in your life. Right. And then when right. you realize that I still feel empty, I, I've heard so many people say, you know, I've reached the pinnacle of success, but I still feel empty. And, and I remember hearing Oprah say something like that. And it, mm-hmm. she had to go and search herself. And once she searched herself, she saw that the things that had happened to her childhood had affected her. And this is why mm-hmm. she responded this way and why she didn't get the satisfaction in certain things that she thought she was going to get when she got there. Ultimately, yeah. it's that it doesn't matter how big you are, how small you are, and successful you are in life. Is that if the root of you is full of bitterness, it's still going to trouble your fruit. It's going to trouble your success. It's going to trouble Absolutely. your outlook on life, everything that you do, and it'll affect you on a cellular level. I, I know this. Yep. My personal experience is that some of the, the doctors won't say this outright, but a lot of the things they treat are because that we're really, like, sick in our thoughts. I don't want to say yep. sick mentally, but our thought patterns, the way that we think, generating create I certain agree. illnesses in us and so they they treat you sometimes they'll give you a placebo yep. and it's really not <laughs> you know it's just you think that you've gotten something that's working for you but they really just gave you a dummy pill and the reality right. of that is that when you talk about your story and the lady i would love to interview her if she would like to be interviewed by the way um that you just um talked about the boxer so, um, sure. for the for the most part, the biggest takeaway from today is is that when you feel that you can't write for yourself, maybe reach out and get someone to start you ghostwriting. You know, Absolutely. when you contact the ghostwriter, Mark, tell them is that maybe you don't write the whole story. Maybe you start out giving them. I know you 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 say you do blogs. You do articles, you do speeches and things. And I've gone out and I've spoken at different organizations and I've had people come up to me after, you know, as they always do when you go out and someone's speaking, somebody will come up to you afterwards and they'll say something to you. And this one particular lady came up and says, you know, I have a sister that said that, you know, my parents did this and this to her. And she says, I've told her for years, I don't believe her that she's a liar because my parents didn't do that to me. Right. And I said, you know, you were doing her a disservice and you were doing yourself a disservice because there has to be something that's causing your sister to do the things that she's doing repetitively and repetitively right. and she keeps failing in right. her life. So there has to be some, something there. There has sometimes to be it's what we there. believe happened to us. It, you yeah. know, it, it, and sometimes what we believe happened to us is just as valid as an actual occurrence. Because if we the, – the brain has I'll, – I'll tell you this. This is something that I learned teaching acting. Your brain has zero ability to tell the difference between fact and fiction. It has the ability to compare what it believes to be fact 
with what is presented to it. So in other words, all the information that you've learned through your life, when someone says to you, uh, the grass is purple, you say, well, no, the grass isn't purple because I've seen green grass. I've been walking on green grass my whole entire life. But the fact is what you're seeing is refracted light. So the grass's color is irrelevant. It's your experience of it that matters. And so what we end up doing, though, is we, we label things as fact. We label things as truth. And sometimes we have no way of knowing the difference. So the things that we experience, if we believe a thing happened to us, we will react exactly as if it did. Uh, there are even people who have, you know, experienced what they call psychosomatic injuries because they believe that they were in a horrible accident or someone attacked them or something happened. And so their body will respond as if it actually has happened. It won't have exactly the same symptoms, but in many ways it'll look just like that, you know, that took place. And so I think it's important for us to be aware that when people tell us a story like that, if your sister continues to say this throughout her life, something's wrong. That's a cry for help. And, and the first thing to do is say, I hear you, you know, and listen to what they're saying and give them at least the validity of taking the time to explore what they're talking about and say, okay, tell me what happened, you know, and listen, really hear them. Because if they're in that much pain, they need someone to be there with them. And sometimes it turns exactly. out they, exactly what they say did happen. And sometimes it turns out that in your four-year-old mind, you know, someone comes to you and says, oh, well, let me explain exactly who that person was and what took place because I was there. And then they tell it to you and you go, oh, and suddenly you understand that this, and maybe not with sexual abuse, but this slight that you thought happened, you know, someone made fun of you or they made you feel horrible about this or that or the other. And the thing that they said was not like what you thought it was at all, but you've had this memory with you for 25 years, you know, and you've been living it over and over every time you think of that incident. And there's things that we can, you know, recall clear back to being, what, four, five, six years old. I can remember things all the way back to the age of two. And I've gone back and confirmed that that thing was actually the way it was because I went and looked, you know. So, but we carry those with us and we build this idea around them of what actually happened to us. And sometimes it's, it's just as valid as if it actually had, whether it had or not. So to say to a person that you don't believe them isn't really helpful. I think is my point here. So even if you don't believe them, telling them that just doesn't, it doesn't prove anything. What do you get out it of being right? Yeah, yeah, it makes it worse. Yeah, it makes it worse. In that situation. Actually, and... It estranges yeah, them from you, and it forces them back. Yeah, and that's what she told me, you know, was basically happening, is that she just, you know, every time she would try to tell her story and somebody would say, you know, we don't believe you, she was just, you know, worse. She became worse. She became more out of control and unmanageable and my thing I said you know you're doing her disservice you owe it to her Mm -hmm. to listen to her and I said you know my experience is that when someone is a predator they pick and choose they don't do it all the things to the same in the same family or the same um uh, with the same mindset or, or come they come with a different approach with each child or a different person and right it does not come across that way. And some people just, you know, they know which child they want to isolate. And the lady that was on Linda Day on um, our previous show, she had another sister. Never, ever, ever did that sister acknowledge the things that 
her sister, Linda, witnessed happening to her. And she, mm-hmm. she since is deceased. And she mm-hmm. became an alcoholic. But she would never admit that those things happened to her. And she says, I know they did because I was watching them happen to her. And right. so this, everybody responds differently to everything. Yep. But if anything here on this show is that there is life after. That's what I want to convey to the listeners. There is life after whatever trauma right. you're going through. And you don't make a permanent decision over a temporary thing because everything has an, expir- an expiration date. And the pain and the Absolutely. trauma that you're enduring, the things you're going through, it will pass. It is um, hard to deal with and it's hard to face at the moment. But in the meantime, if you are thinking about ending your life, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Please don't make a permanent decision over a temporary situation. It will pass and you will recover. And I want to thank you so much, Mark, for being on the show. Tell the yes. people how to get in touch with Mark R. Morris Jr. Please. Absolutely. You can find me on LinkedIn under Mark R. Morris Jr. or on Facebook under Mark R. Morris Jr. As far as I know, I am the only one. Or you can email me at Mark R. Morris, M-O-R-R-I-S, the number two at gmail.com. And I would love to talk with any of you. And if you need help to figure out how to start telling your story, please contact me. Yes, I do charge people to write books. Yes, I am not very cheap, but here is what I will do. I will put you in the right direction to find the resources that you need and give you all the encouragement that I possibly can because I feel that the world needs more stories, and one of them is probably yours. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it so much for you being on the show with us, and please feel free to put your author in touch with me regarding her book if she would like to be interviewed on the show. And as well, you're welcome to come back on anytime. You've been a gracious host, and we are changing the world one episode at a time, and you can overcome life after a difficult situation. Thank you, Mark. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.